This is RCT number 15, Jesus Our Lord. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. We are on page 40 and 41. This is the Creed, Article 2, Part D. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. O heavenly King, O Paraclete, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, the treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and dwell in us and purify us from every stain, and of thy goodness save our souls. Amen. In nomine Patris et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. And just a few announcements. Please keep praying for my mother. And another announcement is that for my work with Red Rose Rescue in New York and New Jersey, I do have a trial beginning on March 10th. That is when we are in those uh, slaughter centers. And this is when we hand out roses trying to convince people not to. uh, Other words I can't say on this forum, but you know what we do in there. It's peaceful, but we still get arrested. And I do have a trial. So if you don't see videos for a while, it's because I'm in a Jersey jail. Please pray for me if that happens. And then uh, last announcement is you might have noticed that on RCT, we now have a new translation of that Byzantine Catholic prayer. And I was using the new catechisms translation. Now I'm using uh, more of a kind of an older Eastern translation of the opening prayer. Okay, so here we are in Roman catechism. We're still talking about the divinity of Christ. And the catechism begins this section today on our Lord saying, Of our Savior, many things are recorded in sacred scripture. Some of these, it is is evident, apply to him as God and some as man, because from his two natures, he received the different properties which belong to both. Hence we say with truth that Christ is almighty, eternal, infinite, and these attributes he has from his divine nature. Again, we say of him that he suffered, died, and rose again, which are properties manifestly that that belong to his human nature. So let me pause here real quick for my first interjection. This is why we can say that Jesus died as man, but he did not die as God. God didn't die, but God the Son as man, as Jesus Christ, did truly die. The Catechism continues, Besides these terms, there are others common to both natures, means the human and the divine, but besides these terms, there are others common to both natures, as when in this article of the Creed, We say, Our Lord. If then this name applies to both natures, rightly is he to be called Our Lord. Okay, now this is interesting. The Roman Catechism of Trent, also called the Catechism of Pius V from the 16th century. So again, we're dealing with something very old, a very old catechism. That's very reliable. I like this, especially since I don't really trust new theology, and I'm sure there's many of you like that. But here, the section we just heard, it's saying that Jesus is our Lord. Yes, he is our Lord as God, but he's also our Lord as man. I love that. It continues, For as he, as well as the Father, is the eternal God, so is he Lord of all things, equally with the Father. And as he and the Father are not the one, one God, and the other, another God, but one and the same God, So likewise, he and the Father are not the one, as in the one Lord, and the other being another Lord. Now, right there, I had to add a couple things in brackets because the translation was a little bit wonky. But what it's just saying right there is that Jesus is not two different Lords, just because he's our Lord as God and he's our Lord as man. You see, as to his dominion as God and man, even though it is one, 
he is one by virtue of his own hypostatic union, Christ's hypostatic union, of his divine person to the human nature, which is Jesus, we can still make certain distinctions in Christ's dominion over us between the divine nature and the human nature, even though he's only one Lord, obviously. For example, Christ as the eternal word, that is God the Son. Remember, we have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost, only one God but three persons. So also we call Christ, or I should say, the second person of the Trinity there, God the Son, is Jesus Christ. And we often call him the eternal word from John chapter 1. So Christ is the eternal word. He did not merit authority over all creation. Why not? Because it was already his from all of eternity since he's God. But Jesus Christ as man did acquire merit, as we hear continued in the catechism right here. As man, he is also, for many reasons, appropriately called our Lord. First, because he is our Redeemer who delivered us from sin, he deservedly acquired the power by which he truly is and is called our Lord. This is the doctrine of the Apostle. He humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross, for which cause God also hath exalted him and hath given him a name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is in the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. The Roman Catechism of Trent continues, And of himself, he said, after his resurrection, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, 18. He is also called Lord because in one person, both natures, the human and the divine, are united, and even though he had not died for us, in other words, if he had not died for us, this is kind of the antiquated translation that sometimes I don't like because this is a conditional sentence. It's supposed to be conditional, and it reads, and even though he had not died for us, what it really means is, even if he had not died for us, dot, 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 now I can continue. Even if he had not died for us, he would have yet deserved by this admirable union, that's the union of his divinity and his humanity, he still would have deserved to be constituted common Lord of all created things, particularly of the faithful who obey and serve him with all the fervor of their souls. So this also brings up this question called the primacy of Jesus Christ. This is a question of speculative theology, and it basically goes like this. If man had not sinned, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, would the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, still had become Jesus Christ incarnate. If we hadn't sinned, would Jesus still become incarnate? Would he, would he still have come to the earth um, as God becoming man? In other words, even if there wasn't a passion and a resurrection, would Jesus still have taken on flesh in the womb of the ever-Virgin Mary? Now, the Dominicans say no to this. This is a 12th or 13th century debate. And the Franciscans say yes to this. This is called the primacy of Christ. Now, before I give you my answer, which doesn't mean much, but I'm going to tell you, uh, again, the Dominican answer and the Franciscan answer, this is called speculative theology. When people nowadays say, oh yeah, but there was always debates going on in the church, notice this is an extremely complex debate 
where you have very good saints on both sides of the argument that really the church hasn't answered yet. Um, nowadays, things are so dark in church history, we are debating if S-O-D-O-M-Y is okay. Do you see how radically different this is when people say, oh, no, 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 there's always been problems in the church. People have always had radical theological debates. That's a total lie when you look at how we're debating the Ten Commandments in the church right now versus 13th century debates, if we hadn't sinned, would Jesus have still become man? See, that's a good speculative theology question. So yeah, there were debates in church history, but they weren't over the basics of the commandments like we're dealing with now. Okay, so the Dominicans point to how um, Jesus primarily came to earth, because you can point to numerous times in St. Paul when it shows that it was our sins that he came to pay for on the cross. It's good theology. But I personally take the side of the Franciscans um, that Jesus would have still become incarnate even if man and woman had never sinned. There's some evidence of that in the mystical city of God when uh, Satan is given the preview of the incarnation. But this is when Satan was Lucifer. Remember, even before Satan fell, at least if you believe mystical city of God like I do, um, Lucifer, before he became Satan, he was given a preview of the incarnation revealing that Christ was going to become man even before there was any proof of angels or man falling. And so Satan rebelled, not especially against Jesus, but especially against the fact that Mary was going to be a higher creature than him. That was the moment of his fall. Uh, but so the Franciscans, including Agreda, who wrote Mystical City of God, hold the primacy of Christ that he still would have become incarnate even if man and woman had not sinned. I take the Franciscan view. I hold to the primacy of Christ. But you don't have to. That's, that's still a, a debate in the church. You can take the Dominican side. That's an example of speculative theology where you can take either side of this debate. And the catechism continues with duties owed to Christ our Lord. It remains, therefore, that the pastor remind the faithful that from Christ we take our name and are called Christians, that we cannot be ignorant of the extent of his favors, particularly since by his gift of faith we are enabled to understand all these things. We, above all others, are under the obligation of devoting and consecrating ourselves forever like faithful servants to our Redeemer and our Lord. This, indeed, we promised at the doors of the church when we are about to be baptized. Okay, two thoughts for you here. You know, there's a modernist idea you can get angry at God. And clearly in the Psalms, King David comes right up against that. You know, there's a certain complaining, how long, O Lord, how long? But too many people believe that this can turn into rebellion. Or rather, I should say, there's too many modern Catholics that rebel against God, saying they're just being honest with God, or they're just being vulnerable with God. Um, it is good to be honest and vulnerable with God, but you have to be really careful to realize he's infinitely good. So don't rebel against him. And this is where theology helps, that God's positive will is all the good that's come into your life, and God's permissive will is all the evil that he has allowed. Why? To bring greater good out of it. Not that he wanted this evil in our life. Just look at Job chapter 1. He allows Satan. God doesn't bring this stuff into Job's life. Read Job chapter 1. It's really clear God allows Satan to do this, but it's only to bring forth faithfulness and ultimately more blessings in our life. So that's why we can't rebel against God when suffering enters our life. Okay, the other thing I want to point out from that couple sentences I just read there is notice here that the Council of Trent it was not the source of what many modernist Catholics call the Tridentine Sacraments. What am I talking about right here? Did you just hear in the section that I read, it said that the 
baby is brought to make these promises through its godparents, quote, at the doors of the church when about to be baptized, end quote. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that right there in this 16th century catechism, we read about these soon-to-be-baptized babies being kept outside the church. And again, keep in mind that this was, this was writing about what happened before Trent, not just after Trent, not just exclusively after Trent. Okay, why is this important? Because this shows that this practice of babies starting the baptism rite outside the church, outside the church before they're baptized, this shows that this goes back to probably apostolic times. How do we know this? Because even the Byzantine Catholic churches, even the Eastern Catholic rites and the Orthodox rites, these start with exorcisms at the doors of the church for the baby. In fact, in some Byzantine Catholic rites, some Greek Catholic rites, you begin by spitting at Satan right at the doors of the church because you're not in yet with that baby because the baby's not part of the church. You're spitting literal saliva in the direction of Satan in these, in these Eastern rites. Um, my new niece, who was just born a couple days ago, this was my fifth niece born, she'll be baptized in the Byzantine rite, and whoever is at that baptism will spit towards the doors, or at least the priest will. Okay, but the point here is that the unbaptized baby is not a Christian yet, and that's why the priest starts in this penitential purple stole outside the church, at least in the Western rite, with these exorcisms in the old rite of baptism. And that's how I do it even today, when we have babies who are being baptized. So my point in all this, sorry I got long-winded, is just to say that the Council of Trent is simply recognizing this. It's not inventing it. There's a lot of modernists who say, oh, these are the Tridentine sacraments. No, they're not. Trent simply recognized what was already apostolic for 1,500 years. It crystallized it and said, you can't change this going forward. And so really this shows that the new sacraments are very new indeed. I do think they're valid, but you just have to realize the new sacraments are very new indeed, unlike what the silly antiquarianists say. Okay, and then the catechism continues. For we then declared that we renounced the devil and the world and gave ourselves unreservedly to Jesus Christ. Okay, quick interjection here. Who renounces the devil and the world in the old rite of baptism? Answer is the child's godparents. And you see, this shows the communal nature of the old sacraments that the Protestant and the individual mindset simply cannot grasp. And honestly, this was unfortunately the mindset that probably revamped the new sacraments as done by Protestants and Freemasons. In fact, even in cultures that didn't live their baptismal vows very well before the council, we see there's still a communal nature to sin and grace. Again, this very fact that the sponsors answer for the baby who's about to be baptized. What do I mean by this communal nature? Well, even in cultures where people weren't living it, they still kind of knew a godfather answered for his godchild. Point in case. I don't suggest you watch this, but if any of you have ever seen Godfather Part 1, made in 1972, 1972 is just after Vatican II, um, but Scorsese keeps the old rite of baptism in that one haunting scene. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? Well, okay, real quick, they do conflate the renouncings with the actual baptism rite, that takes place in the church, so that part is either wrong chronologically or Scorsese's taken a little bit of artistic license. But anyway, in that baptism scene in Godfather 1, you might remember Michael Corleone is, or Corleone is answering as a sponsor for a child in rejecting Satan, and while he's rejecting Satan in this Catholic church for the baby that's about to be baptized, 
we see, the audience sees all these B-rolls of the people that Corleone himself is having murdered at roughly the same time as, alleged, as allegedly he's renouncing the pomps of Satan. So, of course, Scorsese here wanted to show the obvious hypocrisy on the gangster's part, but it also nicely captures this communal nature to Catholic society. The Roman Catechism of Trent continues, and we will finish today's podcast with this paragraph. But if to be enrolled as soldiers of Christ, we consecrated ourselves by so holy and solemn a profession to our Lord, what punishments should we not deserve if after our entrance into the church, and after having known the will and laws of God and received the grace of the sacraments, we were to form our lives upon the precepts and maxims of the world and the devil, just as though, when cleansed in the waters of baptism, we had pledged our fidelity to the world and to the devil, and not to Christ the Lord and Savior? What heart so cold as not to be inflamed with love by the kindness and goodwill exercised towards us by so great a Lord, who, though holding us in his power and dominion as slaves ransomed by his blood, yet embraces us with such ardent love as to call us not servants, but friends and brethren? This assuredly supplies the most just and perhaps the strongest claim to induce us always to acknowledge, venerate, and adore him as our Lord. Please say an Our Father for my family at Benedictio de Omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi, et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.